And one thing that I personally am enjoying is that we can again continue those conversations after the service over tea and coffee out there. So that's uh, been, been nice to be able to do that again. Let's get into the, uh, let's pray before we get into God's word. Heavenly Father, looking at a part of your word that it can be sometimes difficult to understand how it speaks to us as Christians, as part of the new covenant, thousands and thousands of years after these words were written, we just pray that your spirit will speak into our hearts. We pray that you'll help us to see your love for us in these pages, that you'll help us to be encouraged in living a life that honours you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Going to do something a little bit different this morning as uh, we go through chapter 19 of Leviticus. Uh, as we have been looking at this strange book in the Old Testament, which I uh, made the strong claim in, uh, in the first week that we looked at it, that this book helps us to understand Easter more than any other book, and that's why we're looking at it right now. But these chapters we're going to be looking at this morning are about living a holy life, the life that God has called his people to live. But we know that as Christians, we're not in a strict sense under the law of Moses. We know that we you know, don't have to follow some of the food laws that they had, that we don't have animal sacrifices as part of our worship of God. So what I'm going to do as we go through chapter 19, which has this very eclectic collection of laws in it, is to ask you to raise your hand if you think... I'll stop at the end of every law. And if you think it still applies today, raise your hand. And if you think it doesn't apply today, hands down. Don't worry, I'm not going to be keeping score and give you a quiz, uh, like a, a result at the end. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. That's okay. I'm, I, I want your honest answers. There's no, there's, no one's going to get on you for something being right or wrong. I am the Lord your God. Well, that's not a command, but yes, that is still true today. <laughs> Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Oh, there was more. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. Okay, so when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. 
Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. <laughs> do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbour. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbour's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbour frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two different kinds of material. If a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man, but who has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. Yet they are not to be put to death because she had not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance to the tent of the meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. Oh, there was more again. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed and his sin will be forgiven. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. <laughs> but is that the law that we must follow? Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. <laughs> you like that one, Frog? I am the Lord. Oh. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or... Oh, actually, we'll stop there. Do not put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will, be will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Stand up in the presence of the aged and show respect for the elderly and revere your God. 
I am the Lord. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest FR and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Uh, it's a liquid measurement. I can't tell you how much. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. I hope we've seen just through that little exercise that this is not always an easy part of the Bible to apply to our lives. Love your neighbour as yourself. Yes, that's easy. We know that applies. One, because, you know, the, the most obvious reason, because Jesus told us that's the second greatest commandment. But then don't trim the edges of your beard. And, yeah, you know, some, some of these strange, like don't, don't wear fabrics blended of two different materials. How do we know how to apply those sort of things in our lives today? Now we want to start this morning, I don't want to dive in going to each and every law and saying why this one applies, why this one doesn't. I want to start with three key principles to understanding how we apply the law. And then we're going to put some of that into practice, looking over these, these three chapters that will, sorry, four chapters that we're going to be very briefly overviewing today. Now it's worth noting our relationship with the law of Moses is complex. It's not as simple as either we are under the law and have to do everything that it says, or that law has been thrown out the window and it has nothing to teach us and we should just rip it out of our Bibles. When Jesus came and he was talking about the law, he said, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we live in a time the law is not abolished, but in many ways the things that the law was, was designed to do have been fulfilled in Christ. And so our relationship with the law, as I said, is different than just to say we have to do everything it says by the letter but also different than saying, we don't need Leviticus in our Bibles. It has nothing to teach us. Now, in many cases, as we'll see, it's about the spirit of the law, that the principles about honouring God are the same, even though the practice has changed. But I mentioned there were three key things I want us to really have a grip on before we go any further. The first key thing... This is not what Israel did to be saved. Nobody has ever been saved by the law. But Exodus came before Leviticus. God saved his people from Egypt, from their slavery there, in that wonderful depiction of his salvation for all of us, saving us from the slavery of sin and death, before he gave them the law. There was no 
here is all of these laws and if you keep them well enough here in Egypt, then maybe I'll rescue you. No, salvation came first. And what we see here is God calling people to, this is the life I have rescued you to. This is how you respond to the salvation that you have received. How we respond to the grace that God has shown to us. And if we say that we love God, and yet we willfully do all of these things that we know anger him and know are an offence to him, if we continue to do that willfully over and over again, without any regard, it would call into question that statement that we do love God. But we will all fail to live the life that God calls us to sometimes. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And if we say there is no sin in us, then we are a liar. And God forgives us graciously when we sin and when we fall short. But that doesn't mean that obedience isn't something that we should concern ourselves with. It's not the way that we become saved, but having been saved, it's something that we do to respond to the love that God has shown us. And that leads us to the second key thing, that this is about living the good life that God has prepared for us. This is what it says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Now that's not a redundant statement to saying that the person will live by them in the sense that they will keep them. Um, it's already said that they will keep them. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will really live by them, will have true life by them. Or to use the phrase, to put it in the way that Jesus put it, in John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Obedience to God and the things that he's called us to is not about God trying to deprive us of things and God trying to give us a life that is boring and missing out on all of the good stuff. God calls us to these things because as our creator, this is the life that he has created us for. This is the life in which there is the greatest fulfilment and the greatest love for God and love for our neighbour. This life that he calls us to, this good life, is designed to be a blessing to us if we follow and obey God. That shows us how to respond in kind to God's amazing love for us. And Jesus gave us this good life at the cost of his own life. Like the people of Israel. For us, the salvation came first. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His blood, his life was given to pay the penalty that our sins deserved. And while our sins were counted to him, his righteousness has been counted to us so that in us, God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ 
That's what Jesus has done for us at the cross. That's the only way to heaven, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And yet having saved us from the power of sin and death, to enjoy the good life, the full life, the life to the full from John 10 that he calls us to, we do need to listen to what he, how he calls us to live. We do need to trust and obey. And then the third key thing to remember, so this is not what they did to be saved. This is not about depriving us of things, but about living the best life God has for us. And the third thing that really comes out in this verse, these chapters, is there is no such thing as a line between the secular and the sacred. And what I mean by that is we tend to think of things like we go to church, that's sacred, that's for God. We go to work, that's secular, that's part of my normal life. We go to Bible study, that's sacred, that's for God. Then I go out to football training, that's secular, that's, that's just you know, part of ordinary life. As I think you've probably already seen just from going through Leviticus 19, God doesn't have those categories. Everything in our lives is an opportunity to honour God and show our love for him or to dishonour God and disobey him. Everything is an opportunity to live the full good life that God has called us into as those he has saved or an opportunity to have second best, to buy into the cheap substitute and the thief that comes to kill and steal and destroy. Everything in our life is an opportunity to praise and honour God. That our worship is that we give living sacrifices from Hebrews 12, our whole lives. And so with those three keys, hopefully we'll see then how these chapters show us everything is a choice to honour God or dishonour him, to enjoy the good life or to throw that away for things that might appear enticing but are clearly second best. So in chapter 17, we see... uh, Chapter 17 of Leviticus particularly deals with two issues. Don't eat the blood of animals and don't make sacrifices at home. But go to the temple and make your sacrifices there. Or at this point, go to the tabernacle and make your sacrifices there. Now, how does this show us the choice between honouring and dishonouring God, living his good life, or living a, a poor, cheap substitute? We see these are things particularly associated with the worship of God. That we can honour God by living the good life he calls us to live in our worship of God. And the problem we see in these chapters, in verse 7 of chapter 17, shows us a big part of the reason why this law is here. They must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols to whom they prostitute themselves. This is to be a lasting ordinance for them and for the generations to come. They'll bring to the Lord the sacrifices they're now making in the open fields. They must bring them to the priest that is to the Lord 
at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now we no longer have one tabernacle, one temple where we all have to come to to bring our sacrifices. But how does the spirit of this law speak to us today? There are a lot of people that think the most pure form of Christianity is just me having a relationship with God. I don't need the church. The church is just an institution that has a bunch of rules that gets in the way of my relationship with God. No, the most pure relationship is me and God. And we don't want or need church. But this is not God's best life for us. God has always saved his people in community. He saved, he he chose the people of Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to together as a people be his representatives in this world. And he's called us to be a church, to be brothers and sisters brought together, made a people who were not a people. God's best for us involves other Christians, involves having a a church, having a broader body that we belong to. And that's so that we can do the many one another's of the Bible. It's hard to love one another if your Christianity is just about you and God. But the other thing that we see in Leviticus 17 is that where people go and just worship by themselves, error can creep in. People can be deceived into worship that doesn't honour God, but actually defies him. And that's not, to, like, that's not to say sometimes whole churches can't be deceived into such errors as well, but when God's people worship together, it means that we can have people that will pull us up if we're starting to go astray. That we can be a protection to one another. The community, the community of God's people is a big part of the full life that God calls us to. And as for, this is another, the other small part of this chapter, but as for the matter of eating the blood, now, you know, some of you out there might love your black pudding, so this might be of particular relevance to you. All foods are declared clean in the New Testament. But this chapter, this teaches us two things that we can apply to our lives today. One, how we eat and drink is an opportunity to either glorify God or dishonour him. That's that's what's led to the whole Christian practice of, of giving thanks for the food before we eat and things like that. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. But the other thing this verse, um, this, this section teaches us when it comes to uh, why Israel were not to eat the blood is in 17 verse 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Now we no longer need to make atonement for ourselves on the altar. Christ has done that in our place. But when we look at those verses, the life of a creature is in the blood. 
It gives greater fulfillment. It gives a greater understanding to what Christ is calling us to do when he says, this is my blood. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. That his life was poured out for us to make atonement for our sins. But it's not just in worship, like I said, that we, in the sacred things, like we see in chapter 17, that we have a choice to honour God or to dishonour him, to live his best life or to have a cheap substitute. Chapters 18 and 20 of Leviticus both particularly deal with an area of human life that is one, a huge blessing given from God that is a part of his good life for most, of, maybe not all, but the majority of his people, but is also something that has huge potential to damage lives, both the life of the person and the lives of others they interact with. And this is, of course, sex. As we look at chapters 18 and 20 of Leviticus, it reminds us that sex is an opportunity to honour God or to dishonour him, to live his best that he has for us or to turn away from the good life he has for us, for something that so often ends in unhappiness and disaster. Now, these laws particularly pertain to who you can and can't marry, who you can and can't have sexual relations with. And um, rather than reading the whole thing, it's simplified right there in the graph. It's uh, addressed to men, although it is talking about consensual relationships. So in that, it is sort of speaking to women as well. But it said to men, you can't marry and have sexual relationships with your mother, with your stepmother with your, your paternal aunt, with your maternal aunt, with your paternal uncle's wife, with your sister, with your stepsister, with your fraternal sister-in-law, with your daughter, with your daughter-in-law, with your wife's daughter, with your granddaughter, or with your wife's granddaughter. And as much as we might like to think that some of these things would go without saying, the, the reality is in these verses, God is saying, as you go into the land... You need to stay away from the practices that you see, that you've seen from the Egyptians, and that you will see among the Canaanites, including many of these things. And so he warns, first of all, stay away from, from sexual relations, from marriages with close family members. So that's that graph. But that's not the only ones. It also says that there's to be no sexual relations, no marriages. Uh, for, for a man to be married to another man and have sexual relations with another man. And although it doesn't say in these passages that the same idea is applied later to women uh, being in sexual relationships with other women. And also not to have sexual relationships with animals. Uh, neither the men nor the women are to do that. How do we apply these today? What's the spirit of these laws? What's the underlying principle to do with honouring God and to living the good life that he has called us to live? I mean, I think we'd agree most of these aren't, well, those in particular 
aren't especially controversial. There's not too many people arguing that you should be able to have these sorts of sexual relationships. But of course the one that has become quite controversial in modern times is that about same-sex marriages, about uh, homosexual relationships. Now, when we come to these verses, how do we know whether this is something like love your neighbour as yourself that still applies today or whether it's something like don't eat the blood of the animals which was for the Old Testament time but we don't have to keep that now. How do we know which one it is? I think if this passage was our only guide I don't even know if we could answer that question. And as such, I don't know if this is necessarily the best passage to bring people to when this discussion comes up. But it isn't the only place this issue is addressed. There is somewhere where we can go to see what the principle is behind these laws. And that's Genesis chapter 2. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And I didn't include in there, but I probably should have, the purpose that God gave to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The principle is God created sex and he made it for his people before, you know, there's no perception of it being a dirty thing that only came into the world after the fall. It existed before the fall. It was part of God's perfect plan for life in this world and it was part of his, God, his good gift to men and women and the good life that he called them to live in. And yet he had purposes in mind for that. That it was for the man and the woman to, uh, to be intimate in their relationship to become one flesh, to be able to be in that place where they were naked and felt no shame. But also that through that process that the next generation would come, that children would be born into the world. And so we see that God had designed sex for a certain purpose, for bringing together people in a committed relationship, not just scratching an itch, as the world so often sees it this day, these days. And likewise, in the New Testament, it affirms, it, uh, it affirms that all of these forms of sexual immorality are still a serious defiance of the way God has made us and what he has made us to be. Now, the good news is anybody who's gone into any of those forms of sin there is forgiveness. This is not the end of the story. God forgives us for all of our sin if we confess our sin and we turn from it. But willful unrepentance is a defiance of God's design for sex and what he created it for. Now, So the principles in this case have remained largely the same, but the practice has changed, at least in the sense that in chapter 20, we see that for most of these kinds of relationships, the penalty was death. God no longer expects us to apply the death penalty to people 
who don't live up to the sexual ethics of the Bible. But applying this whole passage, this whole section to our lives is a much bigger question than just who you can and can't marry, who you can and can't have a sexual relationship with. And it's a reminder that our sexuality is both an op- like can be used to honour God or it can be used to defy him. It can be used to live the good that he has for us or to chase after what seems better but actually brings hurt and damage and destruction to others. And so we see Jesus applying the spirit of this law goes on to say, like, you're not fine just so long as you don't marry one of the people you're not allowed to marry. He says, even if you lust after a woman, speaking to the men, then you've committed adultery in your heart. And of course, that doesn't just apply to men. If, if women lust after a man, they've committed adultery in their heart. So the spirit of the law tells us our sexual lives is an opportunity to honour God or dishonour him. Even sex within marriage can be an opportunity to honour God or to dishonour him. God has given those who are married, he's given sex as a gift into the marriage to bring uh, intimacy, that we might be one flesh, to bring a greater uh, connection to one another, but also the possibility of uh, children. Now, that's not to say that we've, you know, there's necessarily done anything wrong if people are unable to have children, which can be a difficult issue that people face. But that is part of the reason, broadly speaking, why God has given us this gift. And I know as somebody who's been married for, what is it, nearly 10 years now, that even without having done any of the things Leviticus talks about, that there have been times uh, in sex where I have been more self-centred and more interested in my own satisfaction and times where I have been more other-focused, more loving and more generous. Which of those do you think honours God and which dishonours him? As I said, this is what it means to see these verses not just as a checklist of things that I need to avoid, but an opportunity to see everything in life as an opportunity to honour God or dishonour him. A choice to embrace the good life he's called us into or the devil's poor substitute. And so I'm going to round off this morning where we started with chapter 19, with all of those eclectic laws that some of them applied and some of them didn't, and who knows. There's all these eclectic laws mostly about living in community with one another. And I'm not going to, as I said, go through each one with the principle behind them because I'm sure you'd like to get home before three o'clock this afternoon. But... Here's some broad principles we get and a way that you can see how to understand Leviticus and apply it into our lives, understanding the opportunity in each case to honour God or to dishonour him. So we can honour God with how we work, 
Work is not secular. It's an opportunity to honour him. Don't use dishonest scales. That's one of the laws and that's a part of work. Now, your job might not involve scales, but the principle there is quite easy to apply, isn't it? Give people what they pay for. Be fair and, and have integrity. We know that okay, it's okay now for us to have blended fabrics. Your cotton polyester blend is not going to get you thrown into hell. It's okay to have multiple crops in the same field. These, many of these things were pictures God gave to the people of Israel of what it meant for them to be holy and to be set apart from the world around them. We don't have to keep you know, our crops separate. We don't have to... Um, yeah, we're allowed to wear blended fabrics and if you want to breed a mule, you can do that. But the principle of holiness that God wants us to be holy and set, away, set apart from the world around us, that spirit of the law is definitely still for us today. Now, being set apart from the world around us doesn't mean we have to be unlike the world in every single respect, but it means where the world has bought into sin and rejection of God, we must be different and we must stand apart. It affects uh, honouring God in all of life affects our relationship with others. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't pervert justice. All of those ones are easy to know that they apply because the principle remains exactly the same. The principle under all of these things. Love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus told us all of the law hangs under two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Is it now loving to lie to your neighbour? No, it's not. Is it now loving to steal from your neighbour? No, it's not. And so we know that the spirit of these laws has remained the same. There's a whole bit about fellowship offerings, that don't eat the fellowship offerings on the third day. We don't do fellowship offerings anymore. The idea behind that, the fellowship offering was the one that you took the animal to the temple, it was killed, you ate it there with the priests and with whoever you had invited along. And God tells them, you can't just save it for, you know, put it in your Tupperware containers and eat it for the next week. Bring enough people that you can eat it all. It's a community law. And so we don't have fellowship offerings. But sharing generously and showing hospitality is part of the good life God calls us to. It is part of honouring God. It affects our attitude towards social justice. Now there's two words that have become very loaded in the modern times. But particularly these are issues around caring for the poor, caring for the, the marginalised, the minorities caring for the aliens, uh, as the older, older translations put it, the foreigners that live in your land. If you're a farmer, it's okay for you to harvest the edges of your field. It's okay for you to go back, and, if, you're, if you're a vintner, and pick up the grapes that have fallen on the ground because in our modern world, leaving those there is not going to help the poor. What those rules were there for in those days, what the, those things would be left so that the poor could come along, they could collect what was left and they could live off it. 
So the farmer is absolutely free to harvest the edges of his field. We live in a time where our farms are generally removed by a great amount of distance from where the majority of the underprivileged people live. And it's not really feasible to get people out to these places to collect the food. But the principle, don't put maximum profit ahead of caring for others, that absolutely applies to us today. So how we work and how we go about our profit margins as opposed to caring for our workforce uh, and showing generosity in the community, that is absolutely an opportunity to live God, the good life that God calls us to or the devil's poor substitute to honour God or to dishonour him. Now we have a different relationship with the aliens, with the foreigners that live in our lands than, than what was in Israel's day where they were a theocracy and there was uh, certain things that all people in those lands had to observe. But that principle, treat them with justice and respect like those who are the same as you and born in your land. That absolutely is a way that we can honour God and live the good life he has called us to. Now, I could, I could do more. Like I said, we could be here all day. But I hope that these have been helpful in understanding coming to Leviticus to see the spirit of the law. Coming to Leviticus and seeing how everything in your life is an opportunity to honour God or is a choice. And we can honour God not just in what we do, but in how we do it and the attitude that we have in doing it. But the good news is, because there will all be times when we make the wrong choice, when we choose to dishonour God, when we choose the devil's poor substitute. The good news is this is not what we do to be saved. Our salvation not, doesn't lie in how well we keep the rules and follow the spirit of the law, but in that Jesus gave his life for us. And so... In response to a saviour who has loved us when we were completely unlovable, while we were still his enemies, to respond to the love that he has shown us is good that we should want to honour God in our lives. And he calls us to this not just, you know, because we need to pay him back. We can never pay him back. But because this is actually the life we were designed to live and this is what is best for us and where we find the greatest fulfilment and satisfaction. So we should look at these things and not be disheartened by how much we might fall short in some of these areas. But there is a time to say, I know I have fallen short. Please forgive me. Please help me to see the goodness of the way that you have called me to live and give me the strength to live it more and more each day by your grace. And I hope that we can see that work, that our friendships, that sport, that shopping, church, parties, sex, entertainment, when the waitress knocks your glass of wine over, when your football team loses after the siren. <laughs> Almost got through without it. 
All of these are an opportunity to glorify God in what we do. We can choose to have the life that Jesus calls us to, the life to the full, the life that he calls us to, in response to his great love for us, the salvation he won for us at the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you loved us and gave your life for us while we were still your enemies. Before we could ever do anything to earn our way back to you, you paid the price our sins required. And Lord, we have put our trust in you, in the blood that you shed, in the promises that you made of life everlasting and forgiveness in your name. And Lord, having made that decision, we still can never repay you. We can never make things up to you. But we do love you for the love that you have shown to us. We pray that you'll help us to show that love in every aspect of our lives, to see every moment of every day as an opportunity to love and honour you. And Lord, when we fail and fall short, may we not buy into the lie of condemnation and self-judgment, but may we simply humbly come to you and ask for forgiveness, trusting that you do forgive and that day by day by your spirit you grow us to be more like you, living this good life that you have called us to live, where we love you with all of our hearts and minds and strength and where we love our neighbours as ourselves. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish this morning with a hymn that really speaks about that opportunity of being like Christ and showing his love in everything we do. May the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day.